My name is Nicola, aka Socrates, and you're watching Singularity One on One. If you guys enjoy the show, you can help me make it better by writing a brief review on iTunes or by simply making a donation. Today, I actually have two guests on the show for the first time at the same time, and they're two fantastic young filmmakers uh, that produced this very interesting uh, recent movie about life extension called The Immortalists. So I'd like to welcome Jason Susberg and uh, David Alvarado. Hi, guys. Hey, how you doing? Fantastic. David, did I, did I pronounce your names right? Yeah, yeah, the Alvarado Susberg. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So uh, let's uh, take it sort of step, one step at a time here. And let me ask you, can you guys please introduce yourself a little bit in your own words for those of our viewers and listeners who may not be familiar with your work so far? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, uh, Jason and I both went to the same graduate school. Uh, we, we met in a documentary program and both have a mutual love for science, technology and health. And so uh, as soon as we got out of school, uh, the very first thing we said is there's this huge community of, of people interested in life extension. You know, who are they? What are they doing? What drives them to do that? So we started making a film and it, it accumulated into what's what's now The Immortalists. And, you know, uh, we hope to keep working on films together in the future about science. Yeah, I should also add that this is our first uh, feature. So we made a bunch of short films in the past and uh, this is our very first movie. Fantastic, and and I think for for a very first movie is absolutely amazing, and it's a great movie all in all in its own right. Uh, but let me ask you this: How did you get exposed to the idea of life extension? Because it's still kind of not in the mainstream. And why then did you decide to make a documentary about that particular topic out of all the other opportunities that you could have gone for? Yeah. Um, well, I, actually, I ran across it because uh, I was making a film on seasteading, um, and I'm sure you're familiar with that. But for your listeners who don't know, these are people who want to essentially colonize the oceans to build autonomous countries um, out in the middle of the water. And uh, while I was doing that that um, project, there was a lot of people from the libertarian community in Silicon Valley that were um, really excited about singularity, really excited about AI. And the other thing they were um, talking about was was uh, radical life extension. And I had never heard about it. This was in 2009, and it seemed um, just amazing. Scientifically and from the story opportunity, it just seemed like these scientists actually believe this is possible. Um, this could be an amazing story. So I kind of uh, backburnered it, and then when David and I, we were working this job at Stanford uh, in the basement, <laughs> and uh, we spent many, many hours uh, just talking about science and storytelling and different films we could do. and. Uh, we, we got on talking about this, and we couldn't stop talking about it. It just seemed to really capture our imaginations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you start the movie very appropriately with a quote from, of course, the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is the first known reference of uh, humanity uh, pursuing immortality. It's also the first um, recorded story that we have, so it's, it's fitting that... The first thing that we ever recorded, uh, the whole point of, of Gilgamesh's journey, was to question how to live longer and, and, and what the consequences of that would be. So this is a very, very old question, um, and, and, and we're happy to engage with it in this documentary. 
-hmm. Yeah. And uh, actually, according to Cory Doctorow, it was also the first uh, example of science fiction. Uh, mm -hmm. So, I mean, for me, the first one was, of course, Frankenstein, but he said that, according to some people, the Epic of Gil Gilgamesh was science fiction, or sort of maybe myths and legends were the original science fiction, kind of. Yeah, I can, I can kind of see that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, uh, by the way, when you, when you speak about seasteading, was that the Patrick Friedman idea? Yeah, it was. It was Patrick, Patrick Friedman, and he's now, uh, he's not like a day-to-day um, operator or executive, but he's still on the board. And yeah, that is his, uh, mm -hmm. his brainchild. Because I remember when I was at Singularity University that my debate with him was like one of the hottest debates there. Oh, uh, I didn't debate him on what? On, uh, on, on that topic and, and many other topics uh, related okay. to it, uh, stemming all the way from his grandfather, going through his father and going all the way to him. Uh, I would love to watch this. Yeah. I'll check it out. That's I mean, great. it's not it's not been recorded. It just happened at the session at Singularity University, and then in, at the after party. Uh, so it was kind of interesting, because uh, of course his grandfather is Milton Friedman, right? Uh, very well known across the world. Yeah, anyway, your viewers, your viewers might be interested in it. It's called "The Sea Is a Harsh Mistress." If you wanna, um, uh, if anybody wants to check it out. Yeah, very cool. I, I would actually, I would actually watch that myself out of curiosity because first I know that uh, Jason is a great filmmaker, but secondly, it it doesn't hurt to know more about that topic. I think it's an interesting topic, and you can even argue that uh, some very well known transhumanists, such as uh, Zoltan Istvan, uh, used uh, the core idea uh, for his uh, transhumanist book, The Transhumanist Wager. Oh really? Yes, absolutely. So um, it's it's a very good thing to to be educated about all those, mm -hmm. uh, and and that's where documentary filmmakers like you come into play, playing an important role, of course. So let me ask you this: What was the motivation behind making a film on life extension? What what's the goal? Mm -hmm. Go for it. Um, well, uh, it began with a personal curiosity for Jason and I, um, you know, is this, you know, what is radical life extension? Is it for real? And are there going to be negative consequences? Should that come to be? And, um, you know, the film, it's funny because the film doesn't really act like most documentaries where it's, where it's uh, proposing ideas and getting uh, different uh, opinions and, and talking head interviews. It's mostly uh, an exploration of, of two biologists' life and how these questions embody themselves in their life. So it's a very personal journey with those people. But we feel like those questions do kind of get answered by spending enough time with them. And so, um, you know, I think the goal uh, the, from the very beginning was that, is, is learn more, spread the idea, and let, let the community, let the world engage with these ideas. Because I think there's a stigma about them and there's a lot of misunderstandings. And so we wanted to make a platform that people can come uh, uh, with entertainment value, can come to this film, have a good time, watch it, and then go home and, and talk about it with their grandmother, or talk about it with, you know, their coworkers at work, you know, and, and we think that we achieved that with the film. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Jason, would you like to add something to that? Well, yeah, I guess the other motivation was that when we were um, just, you know, in barroom conversations with our friends or we were talking about it with, um, with other people, it just seemed to provoke so many questions. Everyone was so curious. And so we knew we were onto something just because people were, were jacked up about it and excited. And some of them were afraid. 
Some of them thought it was the worst idea. This is going to destroy the planet, destroy humanity. Other people thought it was infinite possibility. So I guess um, the motivation of it was just uh, getting feedback from people that this was an interesting topic. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's a, it's a fascinating topic. It tends to polarize people. It's also very interesting because the majority of uh, our public is not aware of the developments or even the main issues. There's some very hard preconceptions there that you guys uh, sort of go into and start uh, unbundling, if you will. So, and yes, I agree. You you did a fantastic job uh, with the film, but tell us a little bit more about your two protagonists and why these two guys? Because there's many people who are pursuing this. You chose two specific people. So who are they and why those two? Um, well, Aubrey de Grey, uh, so, so uh, for your listeners here, the two guys are Bill Andrews, who's a, a biologist in, in Reno, Nevada, and then Aubrey de Grey, who spends his time partially in, in Cambridge and in um, and, and, and Silicon Valley. And, and uh, I mean, Aubrey de Grey was an obvious person to include, um, for one, because he gave us the access, and then two, because he's just, you know, world famous. Um, and, you know, once we started filming with him and realized that he was willing to work with us and let us really embed ourselves in his life, uh, we knew that, that we wanted to invest in, like, telling his story the best that we could. And, and then Bill Andrews, um, we weren't sure about. I mean, uh, we had other people that we were looking at at first, but Bill Andrews actually called us while we were producing the film and said, why am I not in your movie? Uh, and I said, you know, I, I said, hey, look, man, we can't include everybody. But we, we went up to Reno just to meet him and talk to him. And, and he was a very, you know, outspoken, energetic uh, uh, person who really embodied, like, the passion behind the, the, the quest for uh, the search for longer life. And so we felt like there was something in his attitude that really, like, embodied something special about some of the people who are dedicating themselves so much to, the, to this goal. And so we, 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 we realized after we got access that we wanted to include him, too. And... You know, we feel like the two men are really play off of each other well uh, and their differences and their similarities. So, you know, we sort of knew that we had found the film, the, the idea behind the film once we talked to both of them. And let me ask you about the title here, okay? You called it The Immortalists. Now, Aubrey de Grey, you know, goes way out of his way to stress that his work is not immortality. His work's goal is not immortality but it's health and just uh, extended lifespan is a byproduct, is not the goal. And he says, obviously, uh, to be immortal, you have to be able to control both the internal factors, that's to say our biology and the, the process of aging, but the external factors too. So he says, you can get perfectly healthy people run by a car every day as it happens, and there's nothing I can do about that per se. Therefore, in his opinion, the term immortality is not appropriate for the goal of his work. Why, why call your movie The Immortalist, and is that fair to Aubrey? Yeah, it's a good question, and, and, and we've had discussions with him, and, and we, you know, we feel really bad that he's, um, he's, he's unpleased with, with the title of the film, and we even understand his, his position, uh, for sure. But, um, you know, the, if, if longer life is the byproduct then the immortalist is a metaphor for the byproduct. You know, it's, it's, not, it's, a, it's not a literal claim of what, you know, he's representing. And so, you know, we were trying to capture the, 
uh, essence from the Gilgamesh story that we discussed earlier, the, ser- the search for immortality that Gilgamesh has, that thing that is all inside of us, we wanted to capture that essence and put it into a modern context. And I think that the, the title as we created it sort of captures that initial quest. But then it's the, in the film, once you come to the film and watch it, you, you understand these are real science, scientists doing real science. And that's when I think people are going to have that, that switch come on in their head. And uh, we think that the, t- the title facilitates that. Yeah, I should also mention that nowhere in our movie did we really take up the issue. We, uh, anytime we talk about life extension, we're talking about it in the context of curing biological aging. Everyone talks about aging as something that can be cured. Um, no, we don't, we're not suggesting that these guys are promising immortality. Uh, the, the title is, it's a, it's a poetic liberty that we took. And yeah. like David said, we know Aubrey's position and he's not happy with the title, but he at the same time understands our position. Yeah, I, I, I have to say I sympathize with you absolutely on the title because it has to be a short, attention-grabbing, uh, kind of encapsulate sort of at least part of the essence, if not all of it. Um, and and yet there's that also misperception about the idea of immortality, which, by the way, you go very well into the movie explaining that that's not what Aubrey is going for. So, so yeah, and the poetic freedom, and, and I'm, I'm totally up uh, on your side on this one. Yeah, and, and we understand his concerns too because, you know, he's, he fights misconceptions all the time and, and, like, he doesn't want some, you know, another thing to have to fight against. So we, yeah. Yeah. So we, 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 we understand that, but hopefully the way we designed the movie and, and the way that the title works to get attention and the film's gotten a lot of attention, I think partially because of how we draw people into it. Yeah. Hopefully they'll come in and they'll learn something that they wouldn't have learned otherwise. So, so it's difficult to know what the right call was, but we're, we're happy with our decision and we feel that it was the right thing to do. Yeah, I totally agree because people may be attracted in the beginning by their own sort of misconceptions, if you will, but once they watch the movie, then they'll see the in-depth coverage of that topic. So they would actually get the whole picture, if you will. Um, but let me ask you this. How have your ideas and perception of both Aubrey de Grey and Bill Andrews uh, in particular, or life extension in general, changed before and after making the movie? Or have they? Yeah, I guess um, uh, we both were, we both came into it open-minded and curious. And um, if anything, just a little bit skeptical just because the claims that Bill was making were really grandiose and some of the claims of Aubrey with like a thousand-year-old human were really grandiose. So I think... Uh, you know, intrigued and with a healthy sense of skepticism. Um, but, um, you know, during the course of production, we saw that these two guys are serious scientists and their work is really multifaceted and fascinating. Um, and, you know, Aubrey's approach is really comprehensive. He's really thought out every step of the way. Um, and so, I mean, these are incredibly smart people who thought pretty much of everything. <laughs> um, so I think uh, me personally, I've definitely come around to being a believing that this is a possibility and uh, and, and being a supporter of uh, aging research in general. Um, so that's something that changed during the course of production for me. Do you want to- yeah, the same. I mean, for me, um, I had trouble, I think at the beginning, uh, distinguishing um, uh, things like herbal supplements, like that kind of life extension with, you know, what serious biogerontologists are talking about producing in the future. And I think there was a moment there when I sort of saw myself separating those things in my mind and realizing 
you know, oh, there's this serious effort over here that may or may not happen, but then there's this other, you know, horseshit over here, you know, that'll never be, that'll never happen. Herbs are not going to make us live forever. That's ridiculous. And, um, and so having that separation in my mind is something that I would like to share with other people. So the, so that the conversation can be, um, a little bit more nuanced and, um, uh, uh, you know, more fruitful. Yeah. And I have to say one of the reasons why I really loved your movie guys was because it gives this kind of uniquely frank and very open-minded, very, if I may claim, fair view into the lives of these two people. So on the one hand, it speaks volumes about the two protagonists, which allow you to have that kind of access into their own very personal lives. On the other hand, it, it speaks very much about you as filmmakers, which I don't think abuse that kind of privilege. Uh, and yet we're very frank and open and, and fair in, in presenting it and giving it to us. Would you mind? Uh, and, and so, for example, a couple of the more sort of personal issues that, that you show in the movie are, one, the beer uh, drinking that Aubrey is very well known for, uh, and two, uh, sort of his uh, extramarital relationships. Uh, so, so would you would you mind sharing with us a little bit about that and how is that sort of important to be included in the film? Because somebody would say, "Well, look, whether Aubrey drinks beer or not doesn't matter, uh, as far as he does a good job in life extension, and whether he has an extramarital relationship or not also is irrelevant to our topic." Why include that kind of personal stuff into the movie? Uh, yeah, well, um, the way that we, Jason and I, were trained to make documentaries and the way that documentaries seem to be successful out in the world is um, the, the time-honored uh, uh, method of learning about somebody's mission by looking at the peripherals of their lives. So um, who do they love? You know, what do they do in their free time? These things all really, really matter to people wanting to know and, and figure out if they trust uh, uh, public individuals. And so, we, you know, we we filmed, we only filmed with Aubrey the things that he allowed us to film. And and what we put on the screen was what we found by being there with him for two years. And so we feel like it actually does a really good job of getting people to know the, 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 the human behind the public figure. Uh, and so... You know, I, I guess I can't say much more than that. You know, it's like we really enjoyed working with him and, and we were so thankful that he allowed us to film. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with, um, I mean, beer drinking and, and um, polyamory don't have anything to do with life extension per se. However, um, yeah, like Dave was saying, our goal was to capture who the essence of these two men were. And that just happens to be a very big part of Aubrey's life. So um, we were, you know, it was sort of a record of what we experienced during during our two year filming period. Plus, you know, Aubrey, um, I remember him, him saying that polyamory is probably the, the the relationship of the future for people who are living 300, 400 years. I mean, you know, how, can you really stay married to the same person for that long? I mean, I totally agree, you know, honestly. Uh, so <laughs> I think in some ways, you know, parts of their lives were relevant to to the story. And, and, and really interesting ways. So, you know, it was fun to play around with those. Yeah, uh, I have to share with you. When I was at Singularity University, one of my friends there, who is a faculty to a very good transhumanist, Jose Cordero, he criticized me severely for being so old-fashionedly monogamous. As <laughs> so, yeah, 
but uh, and I agree with you on on the other account too that that uh, part of um, what I'm trying to accomplish with my interviews, for example, is to show the humanity. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why I almost never edit my interviews, uh, and I try to push the envelope in making my sort of interviewees answer questions that they don't tend to answer usually on TV and sort of show a little bit of a different, more human, more honest, more frank side that people don't get to see in the heavily edited versions that they see on TV, right? right. With perfect makeup and perfect lighting and with like heavily edited videos. Yeah. Uh, so I, I totally sympathize with that goal and I want to congratulate you because I, I think you did accomplish it uh, in an exemplary way, uh, one that other documentaries actually should strive for. Because I see space for, let's say, PBS-type documentaries where they never go into that stuff, right? They just interview a scientist, usually in the lab with the lab coat, looking over a microscope or something, and that's pretty much it, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas you go with them sunbathing naked, mm -hmm. uh, you know, having a picnic or something like that. that, that that's like really... Uh, a unique look into their lives, and I think that's that's fantastic. Thank you. So, so, what's the impact of the making of that movie over your own personal lives? <laughs> that's a great question. So, uh, we both basically turned thirty during the course of production and post production. Um, for me, honestly, um, it's something I think about all the time. Um, I do, before I started this project, I didn't see aging as, I just assumed it was something that happened quietly without suffering and then you die. But, um, you know, now looking at, I now look at aging as this incredibly uh, horrible thing where people suffer at the very end. People get Alzheimer's, all sorts of age-related diseases. Um, so I guess um, <laughs> the impact of me personally is it's definitely changed um, how much I think about it on a daily basis and the amount of compassion I have for seniors in our, in our society who are, don't have access to age-related um, medicines to cure these diseases that are seemingly treatable. So it seems it did change your mind on this. Like before that, you just took it as a fact that we cannot change, like aging just happens. Now yeah. you're kind of looking at it as a different, in a different way, aren't you? Right, exactly. Um, yeah, beforehand, yeah, it was something that was, uh, you know, like time immemorial. You, you live, you die. And so removing that death part, really, um, it, 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 being able to cure aging, obviously, would uh, we remove that, the death part. Um, so that definitely changed in my thinking of it. How about you? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, this whole idea about collecting data about yourself and being healthy, like, you know, I wasn't a runner when I started the film. And then since then, you know, I, I run all the time. Maybe that's partially Bill Andrews, who does ultra marathons. But, yes. You know, so it's just like, yeah, you know, just like Jason, I turned 30, uh, and I remember Dr. Grossman, uh, one of the characters, the side characters in our film, you know, explained, well, this aging process really begins at 30. You're fine, you're fine, then 30, and there's a slow, slow drop, and then a cliff. And so, uh, you know, I guess I, it's funny to be on that hill and start feeling myself going down. You know, it, it encourages us to, uh, to to be healthier and better. So in a way, it's 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 a good thing to realize. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I myself turned thirty eight two weeks ago, so um, I know exactly what you're referring to. <laughs> uh, but but let me let me try and wave my own flag here a little bit. Tell us uh, how you discovered Dr. Terry Grossman. Sure. 
Um, uh, wait, how did we find him? It was actually through his podcast. It was really? a, yeah, Singularity One Hundred and One. You, um, yeah, you are the one who uh, who <laughs> pointed us towards him. <laughs> yeah, I uh, saw an interview um, shortly after um, I guess the Personalized Life Extension Conference, and um, oh yeah, we know David and I had been to the Personalized Life Extension Conference. Saw this really charismatic doctor on the stage. Uh, he seemed really interesting. Had great things to talk about was unabashed about his proclamations about living forever. His uh, book title is called Live Long Enough to Live Forever. So he was really, he hit all the marks and he was really com- uh, compelling. And so, yeah, it was it was through your podcast that we uh, were able to reach out to him um, and do preliminary research because you, in your questions, um, asked a lot of the questions that we do on our pre-interviews. Um, so, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was really great having that resource as a research. And why did you make him one of the protagonists of your film? That's a really good question. Actually, we tried. Because um, I would have imagined him to be also another one of the sort of perfect candidates. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. So, so at the beginning, we started, we filmed a lot with him, actually. Um, for, for, for those who haven't seen the film yet, there's, he really has only one scene. You know, after you meet Bill, you meet Aubrey, you spend some time with them. They come together at um, a, a, a health clinic in, in Denver, Colorado, the, the Dr. Terry Grossman Wellness Center. And um, they, they, the two men are there getting their, their health metrics measured. And it's a fun scene where they're kind of being a little competitive about, about, about who's healthier for their age. And, you know, it's just a cute scene. But in that scene, we also meet Dr. Grossman, who kind of explains the concept of how somebody alive today could take advantage of increasingly powerful technologies that would develop over time. And so um, that's his only scene. But we filmed with him actually for a good long time. We could have actually made a whole film yeah, with the material yeah. that we had of him and put that in there, but it just didn't didn't work. You know, we, we have this concept that films kind of be what they want to be. Mm-hmm. They shape themselves, so we, we sort of just guide that. And um, uh, for whatever reason, having three main protagonists didn't really flow right, and we, all, we kept trying to make it work, and it just wouldn't come out of the edit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But um, we do have the material, and actually, we you know we, we think somebody should totally make a film about him. He's a very interesting guy, some interesting points, and um, you know he's also a really good dude. I remember in the original trailers uh, during the production of your film, he was heavily featured. And one of the most interesting things about Dr. Terry Grossman is the fact that he co-wrote this book with Ray Kurzweil called Transcend: Live Long Enough to Live Forever. Uh, and he has this clinic for life extension. Yet, on, on at the same time, he himself has chosen kind of not to go that route. I know. Which is a very fascinating, interesting sort of personal dilemma. And I think this is where the the, the opportunities lie when people have that kind of divergence. That's why I think it's so very important to 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 live the message. Uh, and, and usually if you're not, then you want to really explore what's at the core of that dichotomy or, or that divergence, that yeah. paradox. Yeah, absolutely. That was actually one of the seeds that was planted early on that we were like, oh, we have a, a really complex movie here because here is a guy who's a quite literal living paradox. And he said this to us off camera that he didn't want to you know, live forever himself. And um, that just kind of planted in our brains. And it, um, it was something that we were we really wanted to tease out because obviously Bill and Aubrey are the exact opposite. The part of their goal is to do the research so they can take advantage of the research. Terry's totally the opposite. So it's it, what is his motivations? Is it, is it humanitarian? Or, 
does he see something that we don't see? <laughs> so I don't know. It really just opens up a really big slew of questions that are worth exploring. Let me just correct you here a little bit, if I may, though, and, and see if you agree with me. I think Bill totally wants to take advantage of these technologies. But I think during the movie, Aubrey actually says, during your own movie, Aubrey yes. says that it never occurs to him to think about it in personal sense, but it's more about the humanitarian end of things. So it never occurred to him to do it for his own wife or for his mom or for his own sake. Rather, right. it's more sure. of the global impact. And what do you think? Do you do you agree with him? I, I, I do. Well, mm -hmm. I, to the extent that I know him, and of course, I, Aubrey is a friend of mine, but I don't know him nearly as close as you guys. But I, I think I believe him. I, I think his motivation is more of a sort of humanitarian or social yeah. rather than personal. Yeah, no, I, I think we don't want to like miss say that we don't want to say that the wrong way. Yeah. But I think I think if if you if if the technology existed, uh, Aubrey would would use it and he would sure, then live longer. Sure. Right? Yeah. So so the, I mean that's I guess that's a difference. Like we we weren't saying that he's only doing it for himself. Yeah. Like that, yeah. that's different. But because the question is. You know, would you know would would Terry Grossman, if if the technology was here, take it? His answer is no. Yeah. Aubrey, Bill's answer would be yes. Yes, yes. I I totally agree with that. I just think that Bill is more a little bit more uh, focused on his own immortality too. Yeah. Uh, Terry Grossman is very much against, and Aubrey's kind of in the middle between the two of them. Right. So that's my sort of ranking in a weird yeah. way. Yeah. Um. So I know that. Being a content producer myself, I know that creating a movie for two years is, is a very big, very hard thing to accomplish. So what was the hardest thing that you had to overcome, the, the biggest obstacle that you have to jump over during the shooting of the movie? Or, or did that come afterwards? Like, what's the toughest thing you had to I, deal with? I would say money. I mean, you know, you know how this goes. It's just, it's so expensive. So expensive, money just leaking out of our ears, you know. And um, uh, I was like living with a girlfriend at one point, eating ramen noodle, you know. Even though we had a you know a huge budget film, like we just we just couldn't raise enough money for it, and we we did everything so cheaply too. So it, it was it was a real big lesson in um, the cost of these types of productions, and um, sort of you know we're working on another project now, and we're hoping to. Uh, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out how to do it right financially. Instead of just it coming out of us, we wanted to find the right partnerships to to, to do the film with. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Also, just to add to that, um, the entire process has been a slog. Uh, but surprisingly, one of the hardest things was after we were finished and after it got into festivals, just learning um, the distribution ropes was uh, a kind of a nightmare, <laughs> honestly. Um, it's really competitive getting things into festivals. It's expensive to travel it's expensive to go places, um, and um, yeah, it, every step of the way <laughs> has been a has been a slog, but worth it. And you know, I don't think we would take it back, but it's been nothing has been easy about this film. <laughs> yeah, and, and I one of my first interviews that I ever did was with Barry Ptolemy about trans his film Transcendent Men, and I remember it took Barry probably more than two years before he even was able to get it into distribution. Uh, so yeah, this is, and, and also as a content producer, podcaster myself, I know how, how, and who is actually starting to produce more and more in-person interviews. 
uh, I know myself firsthand how expensive those can be. And actually, by the way, as a curious side note, um, I was supposed to do this interview in person, visiting David uh, in Brooklyn. But unfortunately, last week when I was in uh, New York, my plane got twice delayed, then canceled, then I got rebooked, and that plane got twice delayed and canceled. And so I ended up arriving 10 or 12 hours later than I was originally supposed to, and hence we're doing the interview on Skype. Um, and that, you know, I just watched uh, sort of the panel discussion with uh, the producers of Cosmos, and it's kind of an interesting parallel because let me ask you this, guys. How many days of shooting did you have and how many uh, people were involved in the production of your film? Uh, I don't know how many shooting days uh, there are. Um, I mean, we, we basically shot for two years, but sparsely. So that's a hard, that's actually a hard question to, to answer. But, you know, uh, and then the, as far as the production goes... Jason and I, you know, I, I'm the cinematographer. Jason records the audio, and we're both the directors. And so the actual production team is pretty small. But then the team around that, the editor, the colorist, the sound mixer, you know, the, you know, there's there's a whole team of post production uh, behind that. And so uh, it's fairly large team. Fairly fact, large, meaning a dozen, two dozen. Uh, let's say less than uh, slightly less than ten uh, main players, um, and all over the world too. Jason lives in San Francisco. I live in New York City. Our executive producer, Chuck Braverman, lives in Los Angeles. Our sound mixer was in Denmark. So, you know, for those who watch the film, the audio is a really visceral part of the uh, of the production. And that was all done in, in Denmark. Yeah, you the know, music's my... fantastic. Thank you. Thank very you. appropriate. Very perfect. Oh, good. I'm glad you like it. And, and so, you know, it's like the team's, it's a very worldwide team. You know, the editor was, a, was Finnish, you know, so, you know, we were, we were really spread out. It was an international project, even though it, it, it's a very small one. Yeah, the reason why I'm going in depth of those details is because I don't think that most people actually realize how tough and how expensive it is to produce. Just one example, I just did one interview with uh, Dr. Michio Kaku about uh, a few weeks ago, and I drove from Toronto to New York to save money. And it still cost me $2,600 for that just one single interview, which we shot on a single day for about a couple of hours, right? That cost me $2,600. Yes. Uh, so so it, it's very expensive. And as a sign of comparison, uh, Cosmos, uh, I was watching the panel discussion yesterday. They said they had 750 people directly involved in the production of Cosmos, plus 250 who were afterwards on the special effects side of things uh, with contractors. So we're right. talking about a thousand people being involved in the production of Cosmos. Uh, and they had over 1,500 special effects and uh, CGI effects and all, like, and let's not mention a budget of tens of millions of dollars. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it was uh, the biggest uh, documentary rollout in the history of documentaries ever. That's crazy. I didn't know that actually. Right. We're, we're so. really excited about that series. You know, Jason and I are obviously are huge uh, Carl Sagan fans, mm -hmm. and so you know when we heard about that, we were we were really excited. Yeah, I, I just finished watching the, the the series yesterday, and I watched the panel discussion afterwards, and it was like fantastic. And they had seventy days of straight shooting with lots of blue screening and lots of locations and, and so on. But anyway, let's go back to Earth to, to sort of the indie productions that we are. Uh -huh. uh, and let me ask you this. 
what's the benchmark of success that you have for yourself that you know this movie was worth making this movie was not our time was not wasted our struggle to give birth to this child was worth it is there such a thing how would you know that you've accomplished the impact you're going for yeah uh it's a great question uh we um so we are negotiating right now uh for international sales so we, right now we're trying to there's several different kinds of markets that indie films can get into and we're basically being getting offers for for all of them which is which is a great great uh uh opportunity for life extension as a topic um so um there's educational sales for example we're going to be able to sell this to universities all over the world um so students can have access to it um broadcast sales we're trying to get a, a major US broadcaster and and in Europe especially we think they'll be very interested uh in, in this topic um and then t- and then obviously VOD is going to be a big huge um uh resource for people to come come find the topic and Netflix. learn it uh yes so so we may, we're making a deal with a company who um you know once they get, buy it from us they take it on they sell it to Netflix iTunes so it's going to be available online for anybody to purchase for $4 or whatever their whatever their fee is sometime hopefully in the fall mm-hmm. um and that's also going to coincide with a the theatrical release we're going to be releasing the film in 10 different US cities um sometime uh, around late fall yeah that kind of preempted my question where can people watch your movie because right now it's very limited kind of i was very privileged to be able to meet you guys and watch it at the hot dogs uh, premiere in in toronto so i was thank you for that really appreciate it but we want more people to see it so how how and where yeah so uh, we start with the film festivals uh, there's there's the very uh their priority is to have um premieres so we had our world premiere at south by southwest and then our international premiere in Toronto and then um we're going to London International next for the European premiere when uh, is that going to be that's uh in October um uh I think the second the second week of October yeah because um, the UK is second or third on my audience uh, list so you might want to give us more details for that sure sure um uh maybe we can post that we, we ha- they actually haven't announced um when exactly so we can, we don't have any information right okay now. cool so just uh, send me the link and i will add it to to the interview if the information is known by the time we publish this and then uh you said uh in the fall hopefully we'll get it on itunes or netflix yeah yeah exactly sometime like november um there's going to be a one week uh run in new york and san uh, new york and los angeles and then it's going to be released on itunes and other vod platforms fantastic yeah i hope more people get to see it um let me ask you this guys you you already shared uh, especially jason shared about how his view on life extension changed but what was after making the movie but what was the most surprising thing that you discovered for yourself during the shooting of that film that you totally didn't expect It's a good question. Um well that we could well I guess I'm surprised that we could pull it off. <laughs> that um we could, you know, I mean it's 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 no it's no small feat to put together 80 minutes of entertaining material getting access to people. We took the project to India to um an ill-fated trip to Africa. <laughs> we went uh to the UK twice. So I guess I guess I'm just surprised that we're talking to you now. <laughs> um it it was uh it was a slog. Um I could have easily seen the project falling apart 
different points, yeah. you know, especially around funding. I mean, you know, uh, there was a point when we already spent about $200,000 and we still hadn't even edited, you know, like there's another $50,000 of editing to do. I mean, it's, it's, it's just incredible. Mm-hmm. Totally. Would you mind sharing with us what your end up final production budget was, if possible? Um, yeah, it's, it's more than 200, uh, um, which which is still low for, 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 for serious documentary films. You know, people usually work with $500,000 budgets. Mm-hmm. And so this, this means that Jason and I are just working for free the whole time. It's, it's yeah. a total passion project. And then the hard costs around that, just you can't, you can't not pay for plane tickets and things like this. Yeah, tell me about it. Uh, <laughs> it always amazes me that I'm still doing this pretty much for free but i love doing it so much that it's it's i can't help it not doing it so i i just have to do it and i think documentaries artists musicians they kind of suffer from the same affliction mm-hmm. it's true it's true you get to do what you love but it's it's hard and um but you know i mean as, as far as like life extension and, and the singularity and i mean i think hopefully there, there's going to be synergy from like artists doing projects about it It'll bring more people into the interest and maybe more people will watch your show and then, you know, vice versa. So mm-hmm. it's, it's good that we're all working towards um, talk, talking about these things because they're just so interesting, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I think mo- they're, they're so interesting to most people, just most people don't already know about it. So, you know, I, I think we're, we'll, we'll all move forward, to, forward together. Mm-hmm. So, so let, me, let me ask you this. For you, if you have to capture them, and that's kind of a trick question, but... If you have to capture them in one or two words, uh, I'm referring to your protagonists, Aubrey de Grey and Bill Andrews. Take Aubrey, for example. Is he a genius, a charlatan, a prophet, a visionary, a drunkard, a nutcase? Uh, what do you think? Well, I mean, he's definitely he's a genius, no doubt about it. Um, he's incredibly intelligent. His system that he came up with um, yeah, I know you're looking for one or two words here, but I think <laughs> I think genius is fair. Um, I think he's a guy who likes to have a good time. He likes to have a good time drinking, and he loves women. Um, he indulges. Yeah, so a, he's a he's a he's a good time person. Aubrey's definitely like the the center of attention. As soon as he walks into a party, everyone wants to talk to him. He's magnetic. Um, Bill Bill also he's a genius as well. Um, driven crazy passionate uh extreme bill's extreme like the, the man runs 130 mile marathons at 18,000 feet and doesn't bat an eye and then he then he you know goes on a warm-up race the next day um yeah what do you think yeah i mean that's it that, that's it and, and that's exactly why we were drawn to them as characters like they're just amazing people that i think uh it's easy to watch them for 80 minutes and and want to know more Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to agree with you, especially about Aubrey. I mean, I was, I'm, I, I'm not familiar, and I, I haven't uh, met uh, Bill Andrews before the premiere of your film. But uh, as far as Aubrey is concerned, I have to say that I've interviewed 150 people by now, some of the smartest people in the world, and Aubrey is definitely in the genius, in the mm-hmm. genius group. Uh, he is easily one of the most eloquent ones that I've interviewed. Easily one of the people with the broadest knowledge that can draw upon all kinds of different resources. And he's definitely incredibly charismatic. So, I mean, the beard, the whole, like, he's, he has presence. When he walks in the room, he he has presence. People notice instantly. Yeah. So, 
I agree. And, and they're perfect subjects, therefore, for a documentary like that. So what do you think? Are they going to be successful with this uh, quest to defeat aging? Two charismatic know. people, brilliant, genius, etc. It's so hard to know. I mean, it, it I don't know. I mean, it could be them. It could be somebody else. Or, you know, maybe we as a society reject it so much that the quest goes away. You know, I mean, it's hard. I can't predict it. I'm, I'm not even good at predicting. So um, it's just so hard to say. Uh, I think the question is for us is, do we as a society want it? Is this something we want to invest in? And if so, like, how do we move forward? And, and hopefully that'll be the focus that people talk about. That was my follow-up question, which you preempted. Do you, too, want them to succeed? Why or why not? Well, um, I mean, I, I think if, if somebody, if there was, a, I, always say, I always say this at the screenings, you know, we always like have a hands up. You know who would want to live forever and and, and it's always different based on geographical locations i think uh and in, in toronto a lot of people did want to live forever mm -hmm. um uh but in, and then we did a show in wisconsin and there's very few so um I, i'd like to see those numbers go up and i think for me personally if you had a, a blue pill and a red pill and one was like i'm gonna die of old age and the other one was like i'll stay young until i get hit by a bus I mean, I feel like it's a no-brainer now for me personally. Mm -hmm. I think the question also could be asked, do you want to slowly suffer from age-related ill health, <laughs> to, to borrow a line from Aubrey? And I think that not a lot of people say, oh, I look forward to suffering from age-related ill health. So, you know, it's kind of like um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm young enough to remember um, when uh, cell phones were becoming – very popular, you know, where everybody started to have them. And there was a moment uh, in time when there's still a discussion like, oh, you're one of those people who have those cell phones. You can't wait until you get home to get a call from me. You can't just hang on and like stay, stay unplugged from the world for a second. And now everybody who I remember saying that has a cell phone and shut up about it. And, and now they're happy with it. And they found a new way to connect with people. And, and they realize, I guess they, they realize that they have to participate in the world with this technology. And I just feel like uh, if it does ever happen, it's going to it's going to be exactly like that. You know, people are going to remember the time when we when we didn't didn't think it would be good to be young indefinitely. Mm -hmm. Let me let me share something on that point too, because and, and it's something that I haven't shared publicly before. I had a very serious period of that myself, uh, and it was about maybe from about ninety seven to about 2003 or four. So for a good six or seven years, where I was pretty much shunning uh, all com most computers. And for the longest time, I refused to have a cell phone. I was like, is that some kind of a philosophical emergency or something? Like people who want to find me, they'll leave a voicemail, right? Yeah. They'll find me. I'll, I'll get back to them eventually. We all knew people who said that. And, and isn't it funny looking back? And, you know, I just feel like, this, 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 our times could kind of be like that with, with life extension and, mm -hmm. and aging. And, and so, you know, we're, we're united with, with Aubrey and, and Bill and, and helping people think about it in those terms. Not to say that people who are elderly don't have that, like value. I mean, we need, I mean, if anything else, it's the opposite. They have value and we should help them be healthier. And, and so, you know, I, I just think that people have, the, the sea change hasn't happened yet in the general public. Yeah, I agree. And that's why it's so interesting to watch it from the personal perspective, how we've changed. And here, here I am 
you know, having one of the sort of the, the foremost uh, transhumanist slash singularitarian podcasts there, on, you know, on the future of technology after I kind of shunned it for about six years out of my life. So it's, ironic. <laughs> it's, it's very, it's totally ironic and, and super interesting to see how it changes people over time. And even Facebook, I fought Facebook for maybe two and a half, three years after it came out. I refused to join Facebook. Mm-hmm. And now I'm there like every day. <laughs> yeah. So guys, we've had a fascinating conversation with you and we learned that you're still in the sort of the distribution, uh, figuring out the distribution of the film. So let me ask you, what's the best place for people to sort of follow up on your work and get updates on uh, potential screening dates and places for the movie or eventually when it becomes available to stream on Netflix or iTunes or somewhere else? Uh, you, can, you can always look at the website, which is theimmortalists.com, uh, or you can go to the production company website, structurefilms.com, and find more information there. Also, uh, well, we're on Twitter and um, Facebook. So Facebook, The Immortalists, and then uh, Twitter, it's uh, our handle is the immortalist. So we're, we're pretty easy to find and we keep a pretty active social profile. Mm-hmm. So we make uh, all sorts of news announcements and also we curating a discussion about living forever. Fantastic. I have to say, I wish you good luck with your movie. I personally enjoyed it very much. I watched it twice and enjoyed it uh, the second time even more than the first time. Let me ask you this though. We've had a 45 minute conversation today and what is the most important message? What's the most important single thing that you would like our viewers to take away from this with you today? Um, I think it was it, it, touch, it touches on that last thing we talked about. It, it's um, uh, how do we how do we value our health, and in that context, what do we do in a world where we might be able to change these uh, these these options? I mean. What does that world look like, and, and how should we have a conversation about it? Jason? Yeah, I, I agree um, that we're going to be making some really interesting discussions as a, as a civil society. And, um, you know, science is going to be progressing uh, with or without the public, so we should be involved in the discussion. Well, Jason and David, uh, the guys who produced The Immortalists, thank you very much for being with us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. It was a great discussion. We had a great time. Oh, yeah.